0: All right, how many of you feel ready for the Word of God this morning? Um, We started last week a message series called Circles. And really, the whole big idea around this message series, the Bible talks about, in in the New Testament, there's this Greek word called oikos. Some of you thought that was just your Greek yogurt you had in the morning for breakfast. But actually, uh, what that word means, it means your... Sphere of influence, your connection. There's there's a part of it that is your nuclear family, those that are in your immediate family, but even more than that, your oikos is those that you have relational connection to. Your immediate family, yes, but all of us we have these circles of influence. We rub elbows, we go to work, and we have friendships. We have we have. Uh, People at church that we have relationship with. We have aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and all these different circles of relationship. And yet, if we're not healthy, in other words, if our relationship with God isn't healthy and I'm not healthy, if my soul isn't good, I'm going to struggle to have healthy relationships. And if you were here, how many of you were here last week and you got to hear that message? I hope that message blessed you. It really, if you haven't, go back and watch that message because it really sets the foundation for all the rest of the messages in this message series. And so we're all connected. Even Paul would put this together that we are all members of one another. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you have to understand that your life is not your own, right? That we are all connected to one another and the choices that you make affect the people in your circles or your spheres of influence. And today, um, God put on my heart something I've never preached before. Uh, I, I've studied a lot about it, but I've never actually preached a message on it. I'm excited to try to bring it to you and to bring some truth to this because I believe it's one of the most underrated. When we think of having healthy relationships, I, what I see oftentimes is the one of the factors that kind of gets in the way or blocks us from being able to or trips us up or hinders us from having healthy relationships that we underestimate is the power of our families of origin. That there are a set of spoken and unspoken rules that we have been taught by our families. Uh, There are generational sins that have gotten passed down to us from our families of origin. And there are ideas about how we see the world and how we relate to one another that we've picked up from our families of origin. And so whether you grew up in an amazing family where mom and dad were together, loved each other, had a healthy marriage and modeled that for you and brought you to church, by the way, if you're a kid here this morning and mom or dad made you get up, I know, and and eat your Wheaties and get to church, get dressed and take a shower. I know it's terrible that you had to do that and come to church, trust me, someday you're going to turn around and you're going to thank them because they're instilling in you something, a a blessing. You're inheriting a blessing of being a part of the family of God. And whether you realize it or not, what I'm preaching to you today, a lot of times for younger people, maybe it's going over your head. But I was reminding my son of this the other day that uh, there's a psalm that talks about how does a young person keep their ways pure? By hiding your word in my heart. And so whether you know it or not, there are seeds of the word of God that are getting planted in your spirit and they might not take uh, root or bloom yet, but later on in life, they're going to do that. I was a byproduct of one of those. I came to church as a teenager because I had to. Uh, My aunt forced me to go to youth group, but now I am so grateful because I can look back and see that there were seeds, right? Some of you are shaking your head because you're a byproduct of these seeds that were planted in you that now life and fruit is coming forth in your life because of those seeds. And so what we see in Scripture is that we serve a generational God. And He would remind us of this all the time when you read Scripture. He's not just the God of Abraham, right? He's the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob he's a generational God he thinks generationally and part of our problem I believe in the modern day world that we live in and even in American culture is it's become all about me and my immediate needs and my immediate gratification and consumerism even to the point where now people aren't even passing down a physical inheritance and it used to be that in in uh, biblical times and in Um, Jewish culture, that that was a big deal. The blessing that got passed down from a father to a son and the inheritance that got passed down to that son was the biggest deal in the world. Like, that was everything. And somehow we've, we've lost sight of the blessings of a generation. But even more importantly, there's a danger, not of the blessing side, but of what can happen when there's sinful patterns or behaviors that also get passed down to us from generation to generation. And I think this is a part of our walk with God that oftentimes that is a discipleship moment. In fact, Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, and many of us can relate to this, the things I want to do, like I want to change, like a lot of us, we see and we notice How many of you have ever said, man, I'll never be like my father. I'll never be like my mother. I will never do what he did. I'll never be an alcoholic. I'll never abuse somebody. I'll never treat my wife that way. But what happens? Oftentimes, we tend to repeat the very things that we don't want to do, that we don't want to repeat. And we can get to the place where we recognize, like Paul did, something's not quite right in me paul said the things i want to do i don't do and the things i don't want to do i end up doing those very things what is wrong with me and he came to two conclusions the first one was that it's it's the sin living inside of me that is prompting me that is that is like my default setting in my natural man is bent towards sin And more in particularly, the generational sins of our fathers and their fathers and their fathers have been passed down. So I have certain tendencies and propensities and weaknesses in certain areas that got passed down to me from generation to generation. The other thing that Paul concluded, he says, whoa, woe is me. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm undone, I'm a wretched man who can save me from this body of death Thanks be to God for the person of Jesus Christ. And so some of you have heard of this thing called generational curses. Let me just start out by saying in the New Testament age, if you're a believer, uh, born again believer in Jesus Christ, I don't believe that you can be cursed by generational curses. Why? Because in Galatians three thirteen, it says that Jesus Christ became a curse for us because it said, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. So in and through the person of Jesus Christ, he broke every curse that could have gone to you, but he took on the cross, nailed it to the cross, and broke the power of it in your life. But there is a big difference from knowing that we are free and we have victory to walking in that freedom and that victory. And therein lies the gap for a lot of us. We know we're free in Jesus, but why is it these cycles... And patterns of sin and unhealthy ways that we relate to one another keep coming around the mountain when she comes. They keep coming back around like a circle. And if we're not careful, we could get stuck in these unhealthy cycles or patterns. And after a while, they become a stronghold in our life. The Bible talks about a stronghold. The stronghold was a fortified city. It was where they would build walls around a city, and it was usually circular in nature surrounding the wall, and what they meant to protect them often kept them stuck behind this wall. And for many of us, we've been in these cycles and patterns for so long, we just started to lower our expectation of what life could look like actually free. And we start to lower our faith and we start to buy into the lie of the enemy that would want you to believe, I guess I was just born this way. And we could even become victims where we start blaming it on certain people or family members or my father. And we could get a little Garth Brooks in us, blame it all on my roots, I showed up in boots. Ruin your black tie affair. (laughs) I've got friends. No, we're not going to go there. This isn't karaoke time with Pastor Lance. That's later. No, just kidding. But seriously, we could start blaming it on our roots. My mother was this way. That's why I'm this way. My father was an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. My parents got divorced. Their parents were divorced, and I get divorced. And let me just say something right off the bat. I feel like I have to say this. Otherwise, the enemy can use the words that I say to reap condemnation on you and actually create an offense that blocks the flow of God from setting you free. And that is this. If you're here and you're divorced, don't let anything that I say condemn you. I'm not saying it... Listen, we all... We have today, we have right now. You're free. There are circumstances, you've, things you've walked through, I know nothing about. God does. And so don't allow the enemy to reap condemnation on you because maybe you're divorced or maybe you're abusive. Anything that I could say, the enemy could try to use and to block what he wants to do in you. So can I put that out there? To give you freedom right now and permission to not allow any offense to come in. But everything that I'm going to preach to you and say to you is straight from the Word of God. And it is meant for your edification, not the tearing down, not condemnation. Amen? But also leave room for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. Amen? So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read to you out of the New King James. Actually, I'm just going to uh, read it off the screen here. because it's just a couple of verses. But this is, let me set this up for you. This is where God shows himself to Moses. There's the burning bush. Moses just strolling along, you know, minding his own. And all of a sudden he sees, you know, this bush on fire. And uh, that might get your attention. And so he goes over to the bush. And he has this encounter with God where God reveals himself to uh to Moses and this is where we're going to pick it up. He says this. And and God wants Moses to understand who he is. Because even Moses is saying like who do I tell him that you are? And so God is trying to get into Moses, this is who I am. This is my character, okay? He says and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is a proclamation of the character of God. He says the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Now, some translations, and I believe this should be inserted, say keeping mercy for a thousand generations. Okay, aren't you glad that you're a part of a generation of the mercy and grace of God? That God's grace and mercy has been passed down throughout all generations. And we could sing great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new. Every morning. Listen, he goes on to say this forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so, this is where a lot of people get confused because some translations, actually, more than not, and I chose one that didn't say the word God punishes the children. To their children's children, to the third, fourth generation. Now you have to understand what that word "punish" or "visit" actually means, and it's actually a beautiful, beautiful word that God is saying. First of all, help, let me help you understand this: that God isn't saying that I'm going to punish you. Actually, in another, in another um, part, because this isn't the first time that God uses this. There are several different uh, places in the Bible where that same passage is, is spoken. And, and, spoken. and one of the other passages gives us a little bit of clue and more insight into what God means by that. He actually says that I punish the iniquities for the children, children for those who hate me. Right. And so let me unpack this for you, that God is a merciful, loving God. He starts out by telling you, this is who I am. I forgive sins. I forgive iniquities. And, and I want to bless generations, thousands of generations. This is who I am. That's my heart. So anybody that says, you know, we shouldn't read the New Old Testament because that's just angry God. I don't like angry God. I like the New Testament God who just loves me and, you know, he's a good God. And he's a like, listen, he is a good God. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's gracious forgiving sins to a thousand generations. However, for those who hate me, in other words, for those who don't choose to follow me, because when you say, God, I want to live life on my own, God says, fine, have it your way. And if you wanna live apart from me, you're living out from under my covering, my blessing, my hand of protection. And when you do that, can I tell you a secret? God doesn't have to do anything to punish you. Your own choices apart from him and from his will are punishment enough. Some of us are being punished by our poor decisions and and choices that we continue to make. And we're stuck in a cycle of them. And God says, this is the life you chose. And I'll let you be punished by it. Why? So that you recognize your sin and turn to God. And he's quick to forgive. So the title of my message to you is Breaking Generational Cycles from Bondage to Blessing from bondage to blessing. How many of you today, you may not have got up thinking you were coming to church today and that you were gonna break off some generational cycles that have kept you stuck in this loop of being stuck in this sin, but today's the day I believe for some of you that you're gonna break the cycle of bondage and step into generational blessing. So let me help you just start out by saying this and give us a a framework of understanding here. When I say I'm calling them generational sins, because again, I don't believe uh, in generational curses. Now, can, can somebody curse you? Yes, they can do that. But again, through Galatians chapter 3 13, I believe that Jesus has broken every curse. So we don't have a curse necessarily on us, but we recognize this generational sins are weaknesses or tendencies to sin that are handed down to us through the generations from parents or members of our family. Let me say it again. Generational sins are weaknesses or tendencies that are handed down to us through the generations from parents or members of our family. How many of you have ever seen like a little girl, little boy, and you're like, oh my gosh, she's so cute. She has her daddy's nose. Or she has her mama's eyes. Or they'll say something and they're like, you're like, Oh, man, you're totally a Danic. I, I could tell by, you know, what you just said. that, that you, you grew up in the Danic home, right? And, and for all of us, there are these tendencies, there are these things growing up in our family of origin that we get passed down like DNA through the bloodline, right? And, and yet, there's also a spiritual DNA. Unfortunately, for all of us, the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. Now, how can you sin if you're just a baby being born? How is that possible? Why? Because through the spiritual bloodline of Adam who sinned, we've all inherited this thing called sin. And so we come out of the womb with this tendency, these tendencies and these weakness and a bent towards sin, and in particular, the sins of our fathers and their fathers and generations. And, and I want to show you this in scripture in case you just don't, you don't believe me. Um, there's, there's patterns that we can look at a couple of people in the Old Testament to see, even though Father Abraham was the father of many nations and many generations and was an amazing man of God, that he still had sin. He still had weaknesses. He still had tendency. And I want to point out to you one of them so that I could see you how this pattern or cycle got passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If if you remember, there's a story in the Old Testament, if you guys can pull it up in Genesis, where Abraham, uh, he needs to, because of famine in the land, he needs to go to a different land. And so he makes his way to Egypt, and this is the story in Genesis 12, uh, verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt there to live uh, for a while because the famine was severe, verse 11. And he was about to enter Egypt, and he said to his wife Sarah, or Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So do this. Lie. Say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. In a moment of weakness and not trusting God, Abraham decided, I'm going to lie and cover myself and protect myself. And in doing so, he sinned against God by not trusting that God will protect him. Now, you might think, you know, hey, wouldn't anybody do that? And what's the big deal? Well, fast forward now to the life of Isaac. I want to show you something. Watch this. Genesis chapter 26. This is his son. When the man of that place asked him, now same scenario, Isaac had to move his family to a different place because the wells had dried up. And the Philistines were stopping that up and you you moved to where there was water. And when the men of that place asked him, he moved to this new place where there's water about his wife. He said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife, he thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Wait a minute, am I reading the same story here? (laughs) Didn't we just read the exact same scenario play out? In his father's life, Abraham. And now that same sin has come back around and has played Isaac. And he's stuck in the cycle. Think it ends there? Let's look at the life of Isaac's son, Jacob. Genesis chapter 27, verse 35. This is, now, a lot of you know the story of jacked up Jacob. (laughs) He comes out of the womb grabbing a hold of his a brothers, they're twins, and he's grabbing the hold of his brother. And, and from, from the very birth, he was fighting and jockeying for position. And, um, and now he tricks his brother, he tricks the father, actually, Isaac, out of the, the family blessing. The family blessing, like I told you, was everything. Like the inheritance of the firstborn, the firstborn, it was a huge deal for the father to lay his hand on the son and bless him, give him a verbal blessing. In fact, I think this is, actually when I was praying for some of you, the Lord told me uh, that, that we have this um, orphan spirit that we're dealing with oftentimes because we have not received the blessing of a father. And can I tell you, there's a lot of you in the room that maybe your father has passed away, maybe he's estranged, maybe he just wasn't that kind of dad. And i could tell you that there are spiritual fathers in this room that would love to be a blessing to you and bless you and stand in the gap for your natural father and give you what your natural father couldn't do was bless you and he may not be able to give you a physical inheritance along with that blessing like they would do in the old testament but there's something so powerful about the blessing of a father. That, that's what it was meant to happen. But for many of us, I believe this is one of the things the enemy is using to taint our view of the goodness of God as a loving father that would want to embrace you as a son or a daughter. And that has to be broken in our life, but that's, that's a whole nother message. But Genesis 27, 35, uh, Isaac is about to die. Jacob knows it. His mom and him come up with a plan to steal the blessing. And so this is, picks up the account. He, steal, he, he makes himself like his brother, smell like his brother, uh, Chewbacca baby. You know, he came out, of the, came out of the womb, it says, with hair. He's a hairy baby. And so he puts, like, hair on him, and, and he goes in, and he tricks Isaac out of the blessing. And then, I, and then Esau, his brother, comes and wants the blessing from the father and realizes, oh, my gosh. The blessing's been stolen, and here it picks up. Genesis 27, 35. But he said, this is Isaac speaking to now Esau, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me, lied to me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you any reserved? And it says, with bitter tears, Isaac wept. But let me tell you what Jacob's name actually means. It means deceiver. It means liar. It means trickster. Do you see the pattern here? Because of Abraham's sin and Abraham's weakness, it got passed down to his son Isaac, who got caught up in that same cycle of sin, who now passed it down to his son Jacob, who not only got caught up, but he came out of the chute, lying, cheating, and stealing. And jacked up Jacob his whole life. It was, it was about being stuck in the cycle until, and I love this, and I believe this is a word of the Lord for some of you here this morning, until God confronted him. Most scholars believe, and you know the story, that Jacob came to this place where he was being chased by uh, his uncle Laban, He was coming to chase him because he had been lying to him and he's getting chased from the front or his brother uh, Esau, who he'd been on the run from, was coming to get him and he's caught in between. You know that God sometimes will allow you to get stuck in places so he can get you to the place where you're ready to move and you're ready to allow him to move in your life. And Jacob was in that place, and and most theologians call this a Christophany. A Christophany was when Jesus would show up in angelic form in the Old Testament. And there's several times that this has happened, and this is one of them. And, And Jacob, it says, began to wrestle with an angel of the Lord, which is Jesus. And it says they wrestled all night long. And I believe that Jesus said, enough is enough. It's time to break the cycle of sin from generation to generation. Therefore, I'm going to confront the sin in you, and we, we're going to do business together. See, this is where it all begins. Last week, I talked to you about that some of these patterns, sinful patterns of behaviors, and the way we relate to each other relationally, we don't just change overnight it's a process that's why we have to understand what salvation is and that word sozo it means to be saved yes i'm going to heaven but that isn't where salvation ends that's just the beginning god wants to continually lead us more and more to be saved to be healed to be delivered from our sin and our brokenness and and our generational tendencies to be set free to be made whole i want to be complete I don't want to be I don't want to have these gaps in my character and in my life. And Jesus shows up and says, no longer, we're done. You're done. I'm going to wrestle this out of you. <laughs> and, and, and you know what I love about Jacob? He might've been jacked up, but one thing God loved about him, that he was a fighter. He was a fighter. He persevered. And the angel, they, it says they wrestled till the break of day. And the angel said, let me go for it's almost dawn. And Jacob says something so profound you got to get. Because some of us, we've tried to break free. But just like Jesus, when he would come to somebody and say, Jesus, Jesus, heal me. I, I, I want to see. You know what Jesus would ask him? Do you want to be made well? In other words, before I actually do this miracle, do you really want to be free? Do you really want it? And so let me tell you something. Sometimes God will allow you to be punished by that sin until you get to the place where you're like, I'm done with this. You get a little Popeye in you. I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. Like you got to get to that place where you draw a bloodline in the sand and say, this is war. No longer is this going to be in my generation. It stops with me. It stops here. It stops now. And I'm not standing for it anymore. Jacob got to that place and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you break this curse and you bless me. And he looks him in the eye and says, all right, then you came to the right place. I was just waiting for you to say that. But you know how he blesses him? He says, no longer will you be called Jacob, i.e. no longer will you be a liar. No longer will you be a deceiver. No longer will you continue in this cycle and pattern of this sin that you've inherited. I'm gonna break it in you, and here's how I'm gonna break it in you. No longer will you be called liar. From now on, you are to be called Israel, Prince of God. From now on, that's not who you are. From now on, I want you to see yourself as a prince of God because I'm going to use you to bless the generations to come. And so in our American mindset, we got to get away from thinking too much in the here and now and start thinking about the generations. In fact, I believe this is a big um, challenge in the church today. Is that we're thinking too much about here and now and not thinking about the generations to come. And in the meantime, the world and our culture is snaring a generation and trying to pull them and suck them into the ways of the world. And we're just sitting in there having our good time, singing our songs. And meanwhile, a generation is getting lost. And if we would awaken to that God wants you and me to break the cycle of sin and the patterns and to be a blessing to a generation, to start to reverse the curse, if you will, and hand off blessings generation to generation. So I love um, a lot of the material that I've gleaned from. In fact, by the way, I'm doing as a supplement to this message series a uh, Wednesday night, um, I don't know, you call it a small group, Bible study, connect group, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. But it's me hanging out with a bunch of awesome people that want to grow in their relationships with one another and get healthy. And uh, so this is the last week. If you want to sign up for it, fair warning, you can only miss one week. So You missed last week, but you can still sign up and you can come Wednesday night. And I'm telling you, it's going to help you because it takes what I'm preaching about and it brings it down to a practical level. Now, when I was, um, I'm preaching to you, I'm way off my notes, but Pete Scazzaro, who created Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, I like what he says. He says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. (laughs) But it's true, Right and that's the problem we come into this new. this is the beautiful thing about Christianity we come into the new family of God and we come into a family and for some of you 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 don't have a good spiritual heritage but now look around you have brothers and sisters mothers and fathers in the faith that are here to support you walk alongside you pray for you I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a couple of praying ants that believed in faith that God could get a hold of my heart and, and some of you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for uh, God interrupting your family cycle and the Holy Spirit invading somebody in your family that got saved, and because they got saved, they got saved, and then because they got saved, you got saved. And I could see this. God turned the Danek family around, and I believe God can turn your family around. But you got to get to a place where you say, enough is enough. I'm ready to break these patterns because there's three things that I believe That we get transferred to us through that bloodline. The first one is this. We inherit sinful patterns, right? We see this. My dad was an alcoholic, and so, I, man, I just, I have this tendency, I can't just have a drink or two in moderation when I do. I just want to go to town, and it's not good for me, and I've tried it, but it just doesn't work, and I don't know why. God wants to break that cycle in you. For some of you, there was cycles of verbal abuse. And because of it, you have a tendency, I call it, you, you have, you're a jack in the box. What I mean by that is, is you take your emotions and you don't say anything in the moment, but you take it and you stuff it down and you move on. But it stays there. And so the next time you stuff it down and you stuff down your emotions and you stuff down your emotions and you stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down. And all of a sudden somebody says something to you, triggers it and boom! You blow up on them. And you just destroy them with your words. And they're, they're just like, whoa, where did that come from? And for many of us, we have these, these sinful patterns. And I wrote a couple down just so you could relate to because whether we realize it or not, these sinful patterns are affecting your relationships with one another, affecting your marriage, they're affecting the way that you raise kids. And so here's here's some of the here, here's some of the things I just jotted down. There's many of them, but there's cycles of poverty, there's cycles of addiction, there's cycles of divorce, there's cycles of abuse, there's cycles of unforgiveness and holding offense, There's cycles of manipulation. There's cycles of control. There's cycles of pass- passive aggressive behavior. That if we, if we don't allow the Spirit of God to break, we're going to continue to stay stuck in him and they are affecting the people around us and they're affecting generations to come. Number two is we inherit spoken and unspoken rules of life. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? Well, let me tell you that when I was young, my mom, I remember she'd come pick me up to take, take me out and she'd turn around in the car because um, Alan would be driving, that was my mom's boyfriend, and she would tell me, she'd drill this into my head, now, you need to get good grades because you got to get into a really good college, like Ivy League, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, because um, if you're going to be successful, successful people work with their head, not with their hands. And this became a rule of life that got transferred to me, and I didn't even realize it. But after I graduated high school, I didn't really have a plan. All my friends were going off to school, and I got riddled with anxiety, so much so that I had to get on antidepressants. I became depressed. I couldn't sleep at night, and I had to get on some drugs to to even help me kind of deal with what I had no idea was going on. But now I look back and realize I was in a funk because internally, I had this rule of life that if I didn't go to college or university and learn a skill that I could use my head, that I wasn't gonna be successful. And this was stressing me out on the inside, and I had no idea about it, but it was a rule that got passed down to me by my mom. The third thing is this, we inherit unhealthy patterns of relating to each other. Like the way you see and grew up watching your mom or dad, how they handled conflict, the way they treated each other, um, even, even different things that they did, how they handled money. All those things we observed and get passed down to us, whether we realize it or not. In his book, Pete's Cazaro, y'all are good. Um, we worshiped for a long time, so um, you, you need to give me a little bonus time here. I am getting close to being done, but he calls them the Ten Commandments. Like, yeah, every family has the Ten Commandments in these different areas where we have these spoken and unspoken rules of life. Let me read a couple, see if any of them resonate with you. Number one, money. Money is the best source of security. The more money you have, the more important you are. Make lots of money to prove that you've quote-unquote made it. Number two, conflict. Avoid conflict at all costs. Don't get people mad at you. Loud, angry, constant fighting, that's normal in our family. Number three, sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. In fact, this is a big one in the church. Sex is dirty. And that is not a godly idea. God created sex, and in the context of marriage, it's good, right? Can I get an amen? I mean, don't (laughs) leave me hanging. Men can be promiscuous, women must be chaste. Sexuality in marriage will come easy. Number four, grief and loss. Sadness is a sign of weakness. Like we don't, we don't show that we're sad. Come on, we're Christians. Come on, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like you can't be sad. You can't have moment of feeling, you know, depressed or anything like that. Uh, you're not allowed to be depressed. Get over your losses quickly and move on. How about this one for you fellas? Big boys don't cry. You don't show emotion. That's weakness. Number five, expressing anger. Anger is dangerous and bad. Explode in anger to make a point. Sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. How about this? Uh, Number six, family. You owe your parents for all they've done for you. Don't speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. Duty to family and culture comes before everything, right? Uh, Number seven, relationships. Don't trust people. They will let you down. Nobody will ever hurt me again, so don't let anybody ever hurt you. Don't let them in. Don't show vulnerability. Number eight, attitudes toward different cultures. Only be close friends with people who are like you. Do not marry a person of another race or culture. Uh, Certain cultures' races are not as good as mine. Number nine, success. It is getting into the best schools. It's making lots of money. It's getting married and having children. Number ten, Feelings and emotions. You're not allowed to have certain feelings. Your feelings are not important. Reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. So these are all some of the things, whether we realize it or not, get passed down to us. And, and yet, I love, um, I, um, Thursday night I was going to go to the Glacier Wolfpack basketball game. It was Crosstown. They were playing Flathead. But I had a long week. I was kind of tired, but I didn't know this. Um, my wife and daughter had kind of planned a little daughter-mom time, bonding time together, girls' night in or whatever, you know, and so um, she's like, oh, you're not, I decided I'm not going to go to the basketball game. I was kind of tired. She's like, well, just so you know, Taylor and I are having like girls' time. I'm like, so what does that mean? We're watching a chick flick, um, you know, and uh, binging on chocolate? I don't know, Um, but But I'm like, oh, can I crash your party? She's like, sure, if you don't mind watching like a girly movie or rom-com or whatever. I'm like, all right, you know, I could live with that. So um, anyway, they picked this movie called The Help. And I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie called The Help. But um, of course, you know, I say this, I'm bound to get an email. How could you say about that movie this was in it? Um, Yeah, no movie is perfect, but this is a pretty clean movie. But it's got a really good storyline. In the storyline... The whole theme is um, about these maids in the South, and the, I think the mid-1900s or 1960s, somewhere around there is the time frame, but uh, there was a lot of abuse and a lot of um, mistreatment uh, from colored or black maids that were serving a lot of the middle class to upper class in the Deep South, and so uh, this brave young lady decided she was going to, create a book with all their stories and she had it published and it exposed a lot uh, in a time where there was a lot of racial tension but um, one of the things the main character who wrote the book there's this moment that really struck my heart in the movie uh, and it was a really touching moment but the the main character she was raised by a black maid and she became like her mother to her like, she raised her, changed her. I mean, she was there for her, and she got really attached to her. And she never understood why all of a sudden she disappeared at a certain age. She was just gone. And finally, her mother told her the story that one day that she was having a luncheon with some of her, her friends, um, upper-middle-class white women friends, and she was getting older, and she was making some mistakes while she was serving them. And, and the one lady, who's kind of like the chieftain or whatever, said, you should just fire her. She's getting too old. I, and she got to the point, she says, I, I, she says, you better fire her now. And in the moment, her heart didn't want to fire her, but she yielded to the pressure and she filed, fired her and sent her home and broke her heart. And, um, and eventually, um, the lady died, and, but the daughter never knew the story behind it, why all of a sudden she left. And, uh, and the daughter was so disappointed in her mother. How could you do that? And then later... Uh, The daughter is out on the front porch and she's getting just reamed out by this lady who one of the stories is about telling her you're going to get sued and I'm and this book is going to get taken off the shelves. And the mother comes out onto the porch and gets in her face and puts her in her place and stands up for her daughter. And then the later they're sitting on the porch and they're having this conversation. And she says something so significant to her. I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta tell it to my church. She said, sometimes courage skips a generation. Thank you for bringing it back to our family. Now I wonder how many of you are here today that courage has skipped a generation, but the Holy Spirit is commissioning you to bring it back to your family. That today's the day. Because I've got good news for you, and it's this. That sinful patterns may get revisited, but you get to choose whether or not they stay. You get to choose. I'm going to say that again. Sinful patterns may get revisited, but you get to choose whether they stay or not. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now look at this. Even going back to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, he says this. This is God speaking. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for their parents' sins and the parent will not be punished for their child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. So God is saying, listen, it's your choice. It's up to you. In fact, at one point he would say today before you lies blessings and curses, life and death. Choose And he says, oh, that you would choose life, that you might live. And so here's what we're going to do, because this is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus took the curse of sin that was passed down to you. He nailed it to the cross and he reversed the curse. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reverse the curse. No longer do we have to stand in the same cycle of patterns of sin and unhealthy behavior. We're going to reverse the curse. I got a few things very quickly, practically, and then we're going to have a time of prayer and we'll be done. And we're going to sing. There's going to, it's going to be amazing. We're going to sing a blessing over you and your family before we leave. You good with that? Okay, write these down. I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack them, but they're very practical. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify the patterns. This is the problem. You can't defeat what you can't define. And too many of us, we know something's wrong. We know we're stuck in a cycle of sin, but how many of us actually really can define, is this a sin that got passed down to me from generations? So one of the things that we do in the Healthy uh, Relationships class is something called a Genogram. A Genogram is you create your own family tree going back two, three, four generations, and you look to identify patterns in those generations. So in other words, if there's divorce in your family, you're going to circle and put a D by that generation. If there is um, addiction in your family line, you're going to put addiction there. Um, If there's isolation in your family, if there is infidelity in your family, uh, if there's abuse in your family, and what it does, and I did this, and let me tell you, it rocked my world. You'll start to see and be able to identify family patterns, unhealthy family patterns that may be tripping you up, that you need to break the cycle. Because here's the deal. You can break the cycle, but you can't do it on your own. You can break the cycle through the power of the blood of Jesus. Do you understand the power of the blood? There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. Because of what Jesus shed on the cross, he broke the curse, became a curse for you. I, I never understood this until I watched horse racing, the power of a bloodline. How many of you lo- like the Kentucky Derby? I love watching the Kentucky Derby. I like going with my mom because she wears the big old hat and you know she gets dressed to the nines. And one of these days, we're actually gonna make it to the Kentucky Derby, but we like to watch the Kentucky Derby. What blows me away is the amount of money that they will pay for a colt. A little horse that they have no idea if it's going to be a good racehorse or not. But you know why? They'll pay millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for a horse. You want to know why? Because they're not just racehorses. They're thoroughbreds. Do you know what bread is? Bread is there are people that study the blood. They have people who will go back generations and find racehorses that have won races. They've won. They have winning in their background and in their culture. Let me tell you something this morning. You have victory in your bloodline. You are not just a victim of your natural bloodline. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you are hooked up to an infusion of new blood. I'm a new creation in Christ. I am, I. Old things have passed away, just like a beautiful picture of baptism this morning. Behold, all things have become new. I got a new bloodline. I got a new DNA. And let me tell you something about the history of your bloodline. Come on, there was a man named Moses who had the faith to part the Red Sea. Therefore, you got f- great faith in your bloodline. There's a man named David who picked up a couple of stones and when nobody would go out and have the courage to fight Goliath, he picked up a few pebbles in a slingshot and he took down a giant. Let me tell you something. You got great courage in your bloodline. Let me tell you about a man named Nehemiah who when they said it was impossible in something crazy like 62 days through perseverance and hard work and being a leader, he was able to rebuild the walls of Jericho. Let me tell you something, you've got great leadership in your spiritual bloodline. You've got perseverance in your spiritual bloodline. Let me tell you about the wisest man that ever lived. His name was Solomon. And because we are in his spiritual bloodline, you have great wisdom in your spiritual bloodline as a part of your spiritual DNA. And you got it and I got it and greater is he that is in you than he that was in grandpa right this in Romans five 12. I'm almost done therefore just as sin came into the world through one man Adam and death through sin spread to all people not being able to stop it or escape its power because they all sinned. look at this verse 15 Come on. But the free gift of God is not like the trespass because the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. For if many died by one man's trespass, Adam's sin, how much more abundantly did the grace of God and the gift that comes by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow from him and the blood that dripped down the cross overflowed to you for the benefit of many. Somebody say hallelujah. So right now, here's how we're gonna close. Number one, you gotta forgive your family. Some of you today, just you gotta forgive your father. You gotta forgive your mother. You gotta forgive that aunt. You gotta forgive that uncle that abused you. You gotta say, literally, God, I forgive this person. I release them. And in doing so, you know what happens? You get free. You got to forgive. The second thing we need to do that we're going to do in just a minute is we need to repent. We need to turn. Turn from the cycle that we've been stuck in and surrender to God and say, God, I repent. I own this. Yeah, my parents may have passed this tendency down to me, But today I take ownership of it. I am not a victim. I am not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And number three, last one, allow the Holy Spirit to prune your patterns. You gotta identify them. You gotta forgive your family. You gotta repent of them. And then engage in the process. You gotta wrestle. You got to get on your hands and knees like Jacob and you got to say, I'm not letting go until you reverse the curse. I'm not letting go until this thing is broken in me and the blessing of God starts flowing in my life and through me to the next generation. How many of you are ready to do that today? I want to lead you. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to lead you in a declaration prayer. How many of you know what a declaration prayer, prayer is? How many of you would say, I wanna break the cycle today? Come on, are you ready? Let this be the prayer of your heart. And can I tell you something, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is where it starts. The Bible says if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you'll repent from your sins and ask him to forgive you, you will be born again. And you'll begin this process of God working in your life. But for the rest of us, I, wanna, I want you to say this prayer with me and mean it. I don't want you to just say it. I want you to say it like you mean it. Say it like you're declaring something over your life and over your generation. All right, are you ready? Yes. I, proclaim I proclaim Christ redeemed, Christ redeemed. Us, from the curse of the law us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ, Christ, I break the power and hold of every sin sin. that has come to me through the transfer by any generation of of my family family. and through words spoken. spoken. In In the name of Jesus, I declare every legal hold and every, legal every legal ground of the enemy broken, the enemy broke. disarmed, disarmed. Destroyed. destroyed, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am free. I am free. I am free. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me, for setting me free. Setting me free. I, order I order this cycle of sins and patterns orderly disarmed and dismantled now through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and in his name and now I claim every spiritual blessing that my heavenly father has given me in Christ Jesus for me my family and for the generations to come Now put out your hands like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Can everyone say, Amen.